This is Brian Armstrong, and you're listening to Around the Block by Coinbase. Today, we have a special episode where I'll chat with my chief of staff about what's top of mind at Coinbase, and then I'll talk with the director of the just-launched Coin documentary, Greg Coes. With that, let's get into it. All right, I'm happy to have my chief of staff, Mark Cialoni, here to join me to talk about what we're seeing at Coinbase and what's top of mind. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Brian. Excited to be here. Uh, I thought we'd kick off with a question on a tweet storm that you put out recently on the topic of resilience and some of the underlying psychology behind it. Why is resilience so important to you? Why is it a theme that you talk about frequently? And what prompted you to, to put out that tweet storm? Yeah, well, as you can imagine, having gone through four different crypto cycles now as the CEO of Coinbase, um, part of my job is just kind of educa educating people and informing people about every cycle that comes up. And this one is no exception. We have a lot of people who've joined just recently in 2021. And sometimes when people join, they feel like, hey, this thing's only going one direction. And it turns out that crypto is still so new that it's going to continue to go through these cycles. But the mistake I see people make is that They'll come in sort of, you know, on the way up or at the top of the market. And when things start to go down, you know, they start to see negative headlines or their friends and family come and ask them at the holidays, you know, what's going on with this thing? Are you okay? Do you need us to, do you need help with the rent? And they're, you know, if you're not like kind of being independent, an independent thinker um, and forming your own judgments and, and thoughts, this can be uh, cause you to make kind of bad decisions in a down market. Um, if you look back at any prior crypto cycle, even if you, joined at the absolute worst time or um, if you bought Bitcoin at the absolute peak you know, the prior cycle, if you just waited one cycle, you were probably up. So this is a very counterintuitive thing. And in the tweet thread, I, I tweet storm, you know, I tried to highlight some of the psychology principles that I read about in my past. You know, I'm not a psychologist, but I, I find it very interesting to look at these things around, you know, people's fight or flight response and how we're inherently tribal. We want to fit in. Um, we actually you know, compromise ourselves in small ways all the time just to sort of create social cohesion. Uh, some people have that trait more strongly than others. And then, you know, the best thinkers are often contrarian. They're able to sort of turn off um, a lot of those instincts which are hardwired into us. Just, you know, we're animals that just like anything else that evolved on, on planet Earth. And we have a mammalian brain that has a lot of that stuff hardwired into it. But we also have a neocortex, which is, you know, we're the only species that has that. And the neocortex is often kind of separated and it can think very logically. And so it's in a weird, it might sound strange, but I actually think about it as like, am I thinking with my neocortex right now or am I thinking with some kind of one of the more primitive brains, the reptilian or mammalian brain? And uh, there's a term for this in psychology called the amygdala hijack. So your amygdala can actually kind of get, get activated and, and hijack the neocortex and it'll cause people to do completely irrational things. You can see it just in a meeting at work. Somebody might be a little bit triggered by something you said and like now they're just they're not thinking as clearly um they're not listening they're not able to, to hear what you're saying because literally their brain their, their neocortex has been hijacked so anyway i'm kind of like an amateur student of these these psychology principles and i find it very interesting and i thought it would be fun to put it out there in a tweet storm great answer brian and i think uh, shifting gears you know related to the topic of resilience the coinbase documentary came out um just this last week uh, uh, and I think it's focused very keenly on your story of over a very long arc of time, moving from setback to setback to, to build Coinbase to where it is today. Um, we've talked a lot about your inspiration behind this over the years, but it's probably less obvious to the average viewer, to, to, to many of the people that are watching the film. I'm curious, what inspired you to take this on and, and what impact are you really hoping to have uh, with this documentary? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's funny. I, this was probably what three, almost three, four years ago now where um, in the course of just building Coinbase, I remember I was, I was in a long car ride at one point and I was just kind of sitting there thinking, daydreaming, you know, and this idea popped into my head. What if we made a documentary, you know, and I'd always enjoyed watching documentaries. I felt like it was a great format that kind of gave you a behind the scenes look at what um, something was all about. And in this day and age, you know, it's hard to sort of tell your story, especially if it's being filtered through um, various media organizations or, um, you know, if you're more of an introvert or whatever. And I, I sort of had this thought, like, this would be a very unique and interesting thing to do to, to sort of give unprecedented access to a, a documentary filmmaker that, that I have to trust. This is a big leap of faith on our part because, you know, somebody could make us look really stupid or create all kinds of issues for the company if, if we let them in. When I, when I first even told the board about this idea, they were a little nervous. They're like, okay, you want to you want to just film everything and let them have access to everything? Like what kind of liability could this create or whatever? Um, but I, on that car ride, I kind of got excited enough about the idea to start to look into it. And it was a contrarian idea, but I, I was excited to try to give people a raw, unfiltered look at what was actually going on inside the company. Because I had this hunch that if people could see what we were doing day to day, they would empathize, they would, they would come to our support, they would rally for it. Um, they would want to see, you know, how are we making good faith efforts to go engage with with lawmakers and policymakers? Um, how are we, you know, how does a meeting look? How are we trying to figure out cybersecurity issues? How are we trying to make crypto easier to use? And it was all in this in the mission of the company, which was to go increase economic freedom in the world. And just explaining that idea is, is complicated. And, and why is that such an important thing? So, you know, I eventually got convinced to go try this. I wanted to show the resilience of what it takes to, to create a company kind of all the way from, you know, starting on your laptop to eventually becoming a public company and even showing the process of going public is something that was really cool to demystify um, because that a lot of people haven't seen that before. And I actually haven't even seen the final cut. It's already out there <laughs> streaming. So um, I hope that people have told me it's good, but I, I'm going to go see it at the screening that we're hosting next week. I totally agree. And I think there's just so much fear and confusion about like what it means to work at a tech company or start a tech company. I've had all the same conversations with my parents, like, why are you going to this small company that nobody knows what it does? It's not safe. Um, and I think it's really cool that that we're giving like a, a real raw, authentic window into to what that looks like. Because as far as I'm aware, there's not really a candid, authentic take out there in the world uh, until we put this out. So I think it's a, a very exciting, um, a very exciting to see it out in the wild after working on it uh, behind the scenes with Greg and team for a long, long time. Um, transitioning to the last question, um, Coinbase had a big launch last week. Um, bringing our product to the Australian market, uh, which I think was a, a very exciting and long, uh, long due effort. Um, we talk a lot about international expansion internally and, and having all of the products that we released be shipped with an international first mindset, uh, but wanted to give you a chance to, to talk about why international expansion is such an important part of um, you know, our priority stack and, and what we're working on. Yeah, so I was excited to have Coinbase finally launch in Australia and ultimately international expansion comes back to our mission about increasing economic freedom in the world. We've got to make crypto accessible and easy to use and trusted in every country of the world, ideally. So through our regulated products, the, the ones that, you know, the main Coinbase retail app or Coinbase Prime, these are, you know, products where we're taking custody of customer funds. We're, we're basically going into all the major markets of the world and launching. And we have, there's a lot of work to do that. You know, you have to go get uh, regulatory approval, sometimes licenses, you have to get local bank deals done to, to make sure the fiat currency locally can kind of move into and out of uh, crypto and we can take a uh, deposit of that. Um, there's uh, a lot of localization efforts, of course. And so 
that's uh, what we're what we're doing, sort of going top down through the major markets of the world, and we'll hopefully keep launching the new new ones about once a quarter. Now, at the same time, you know, there's 200 countries in the world, and we're not going to be able to get to all of them through that approach. In fact, you know, there's many countries um, that could most benefit from crypto because they don't have a stable currency, and you know, they're in turmoil. Um, many of those companies are very difficult, or even impossible, I would say, for a U.S. entity to um, operate a local regulated financial service business. And so through to expand in those markets, what we're doing is we're focusing on our self-custodial wallet solution, Coinbase wallet. It's really the, the customer is storing their own funds. They're using it almost more like a web browser or something to, to browse um, this decentralized protocols and use all the different apps uh, associated with it. So we kind of have this um, go, go, go deep and go broad strategy. Go deep means going into the major markets, really having often we'll have a local office, hire a number of local people, um, work within the existing system. And the, the go broad strategy is really with self-custodial wallets. And you know we're going to do both of those. So there's kind of top down, bottoms up. Hopefully get a lot of global coverage. I think as we get more and more global coverage for crypto, not only is it just going to further our mission, but it enables new use cases like around remittance between these different countries, which is really exciting to see. And we're seeing um, sort of sparks of activity there already, like you know between U.S. and Mexico, Coinbase has, uh, or we're seeing remittance that that remittance quarter kind of move more and more into crypto on our platform. So. Anyway, that's a high level about why international expansion is so important for us, and we'll keep making progress there. Awesome. Great. Well, I think we can wrap it there. And Brian, thanks for your time. All right. So hopefully you enjoyed this top of mind segment about what's going on inside Coinbase. We'll keep doing more of these to give people insights into what we're up, what we're up to. Up next, we've got our conversation with Greg Coase, uh, the director for the documentary, which is now streaming, called Coin, A Founder's Story. So as you hopefully know now, we've released Coin, which is a documentary that we just put out recently about cryptocurrency and about Coinbase. And it's about me, which is you know a little uncomfortable. But uh, I'm here with the director, Greg Coase. And um, he and I had met a while back when um, we were thinking about this project. And I had seen a film that he made called AlphaGo, which was also about technology and DeepMind. Uh, Coin, the documentary, is available now on iTunes and YouTube and Amazon Prime. Um, but we're going to talk about today how this project came together and all the ups and downs, the decision points that we had to make this crazy idea come to life. Greg, thank you for being here. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's fun to be on the other side of the camera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I spent so many hours uh, with you behind the camera, you asking people questions. And um, I guess I get to turn the tables a little bit today and ask you a few things. So I remember when we first met, um, this was kind of a very vulnerable thing to do, right? You know, I'm kind of an introvert. Um, why would I want to have cameras following me around? I, I don't really particularly have any interest in even being a public figure, right? Which is kind of a weird thing. But as a public company CEO, you sometimes have to think about, all right, how are we going to get our message out there? How are we going to tell the story of what we're all about? And if you don't say anything, you know, the void can get filled with people's own interpretations, which may or may not be correct. So um, it was kind of a crazy idea to go out there and, you know, I remember having a lot of fear about kind of, well, would I look stupid or what moments would he capture on film? Or if, if I found the wrong director, maybe they would use it against us and they would turn it into something negative. But maybe talk about that a bit in your own words of, you know, when you work with subjects and you're trying to tell their story, how do you think through this this process? I mean, I, you're trying to faithfully tell the story, but it's it's a lot of trust. And I, and I saw you work through this process where you had to kind of um, get people comfortable and, you know, their initial instinct often was to say, no, 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 I don't want to have any cameras. I don't want to be on camera. So how do you do that as a documentary filmmaker? 
Um, patience, really. Uh, that's the number one um, patience. And um, it's difficult, right, to, to garner trust. That's a whole philosophical discussion in itself. Um, so I, um, yeah, I, it's, it's patience <laughs> to garner that trust, as you know in our in our conversations leading up to kind of both of us agreeing to work together um or t uh, on the project and so um and that just comes with healthy dialogue um and time and um and that's the way it's been with all of my um all of the characters whose stories i capture in my documentaries is um patient and uh and try to um try to get on their wavelength or, or or try to understand what makes them what gives them energy what doesn't give them energy just in and find connection points between um between myself and them, them or their story i guess i connected with you first in the idea that as a kid you were quiet and no one listened, you didn't feel like maybe people listened to you as much as maybe the louder kids on the playground and your ideas. And I connected with that a lot. And that's kind of where it started for me. That wasn't a connection point. Well, how do you get from that to where you're at now? That was really interesting to me. And that had nothing to do with currency or finance or apps um, or technology. It had to do with just um, like a human condition, you know, and growth. Yeah. I mean, I think in every project like this, it is a collaboration and it, and it does require that trust. I remember you and I just kind of went on some walks and had some meals together. And at a certain point I kind of got this sense of, okay, I think I trust this guy. I don't really even know why. Um, but I kind of had a sense that your intentions were pure and you would kind of faithfully do your best to, to go tell that story. And in this case, we were like, well, we don't know what's going to happen with crypto. If it's going to go up or down, or what's the ending point? What is the end of the film? We actually didn't even know that when we started, and we didn't know some of these negative things were going to happen either, like you know, delete Coinbase trending on Twitter, or um, you know, things like uh, the Mission First plot post that went out. And I, I know there was definitely moments in the room where we were um, recording different meetings and stuff, and I was like, oh my god, do we really want to have cameras on this moment? Like this, this might be the moment that uh, we live in infamy, you know, where five, 10 years from now, someone's going to look back and say, oh, how ignorant they were in that moment, right? Um, so yeah, that was always tricky of like, what what do we actually, are we actually comfortable recording? And I have to say, it was great to, that some of those moments where I was like a little bit nervous, like, oh man, should we really be filming this? Those I think turned out to be some of the most interesting moments in the film. I'm curious how you decided um, who to go interview for this film, because there's a lot of people that were not really related to Coinbase at all. I mean, there's, you interviewed Harvard economists and um, Vitalik and uh, people who had all kinds of different points of views, people like Paul Graham, even Nas, you know, the, the music producer, rapper. Um, so maybe talk a bit about the range of people that you got to appear in this film and how you went about that. Um, well, I, I tried to, once, once uh, taking on the project, not being familiar with the space at all, um, I immediately just started following as many people as I could on Twitter within the space and who they followed just to start to, I know that sounds odd from a research standpoint, but just to see what they had to say. 
uh, and to see um, uh, their thoughtfulness um, and if what they were sharing was compelling or if it was um, informative or I liked the vibe of it, like just I wanted to meet them. Um, and, uh, that, you know, that fell into several categories, one being uh, the category of business from a tech startup uh, standpoint, um, the other being in finance. Uh, and then, of course, just the technology aspect. Um, and then we snuck in architecture in there. Um, so, again, it just went with my curiosity. Like, Professor Galloway, I just, you know, he's, he's, he, he can say some strong things, right? But I just loved his clarity of thought and that he wasn't afraid to say things. Um, I know maybe, I mean, I don't know, but he may not have been... I don't know how you felt about that, but I thought, well, maybe you might be, you might bristle if you find out I'm interviewing, but I didn't really, I wasn't, I mean, I'm not going to say I wasn't worried about it, but I felt I was, I selfishly wanted to talk to him and get his point of view on that journey because he's had a success, multiple successful journeys himself. And I thought he brought really valuable insight into the, the journey of a founder and an entrepreneur um, in a very you know, as an example, just in a critical but positive way, um, which which I, I liked. Um, so that was that was kind of how I went about that. You know, I mean, on occasion, as you know, like with Vitalik, I asked for a, an introduction um, to which I never heard back from him. And then I found myself in a London coffee shop on another production. And I turned around and I'm like, that interesting looking guy looks like this guy that I've been trying to get a hold of. And then I looked up on uh, on my phone and matched it. And I'm like, there's no one else that looks like Vitalik. That's Vitalik. And so I tapped him on the shoulder and he took his headphones off and it was Vitalik. So <laughs> that's kind of how these things came about, you know. Um, and he had seen AlphaGo. And so we went from there and then other introductions happened from these different people. So I was really looking for people that we're going to be um, as much as possible within the space and outside of the crypto space that we're going to be accessible to kind of a general audience. What they had to say was easily digestible. There was a clarity of thought. Um, there was a positivity to what they had to say. Um, if that makes sense, I don't know if positivity is even a, a word, but it, it just it just felt healthy. It was healthy dialogue. Maybe it wasn't always positive. That's not, that's not accurate, right? They weren't all positive, but it was just healthy. It was a healthy conversation, even with folks that were part of the difficult uh, aspects of the journey we captured of your journey. Um, I encouraged dialogue, like, let's have a healthy conversation about this respectfully um, and talk about it. And, you know, that required getting their trust as well, right? That I was going to be fair to them. So hopefully everyone feels that way. Yeah, that's awesome. There's lots of moments like that that are ad hoc that come together to make these, something like this work. And that, that moment with you in the uh, coffee shop with Vitalik was a good example of that. Um, so was there a part of the film, I'm curious, where you feel like it best captured the difficulty of running a startup or something you know, the, in the good, bad, and the ugly, what was the the ugly part that stands out in your mind um, in the film that was most difficult for us to go through? I think being kind of behind the curtain and seeing everyone's intentions, being being positive, like having good intentions. Um, I think 
having access to witness that and then reading and listening to outside commentary or thoughts, I guess that was the most difficult part um, as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Watching your journey and the company's journey and that difficulty, difficult times, I think the mission first aspect was was quite challenging. I could see it's very, talk about like philosophical and, and, and what have you. That was really, you know, it was challenging to watch kind of a little, watch you stumble, I guess, and, and regain your footing and, uh, and maybe figure things out along the way and just watch as it was happening. I was like, gosh, I'm glad I'm not in that position, but it was really, uh, it was really interesting to see how you handled it. Um, and also hear from the people that had something to say about how you handled it. Yeah. Both positive and negative. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you did a good job of covering all the different viewpoints on that, which I thought was very thoughtful because, you know, I always, I'm always surprised in those moments where in the moment it always feels awful. You know, you're stretched outside your comfort zone. It feels like everyone's upset at you. You're stressed. You can't sleep well. You're not, you don't want to eat. And then, you know, you look back on it a couple of years later and you're like, you can kind of look back and almost laugh at it. Oh, wow. That, that was a crazy one. You know, we grew from that experience. Um, but in the moment, it always feels so awful. Anytime you're caught up in these moments, it feels like you're at the center of this hurricane. And then, but it's actually, you're growing, you're expanding as a leader every time you go through it. Let's see, it's just shifting gear. So um, maybe you can talk for a minute about documenting an IPO of a company. I know that was kind of a crazy logistics moment where we had people in s- filming simultaneously, like in California and at the NASDAQ and at Goldman Sachs and, um, you know, Benny Adler kind of emerged as this um, unlikely character in the film. But can you just tell us a bit about that? I, I, I think a lot of people like an IPO is a very, you know, they don't really understand how it works behind the scenes. I know I didn't before going through one. And so part of me was kind of excited to have you filming in three locations simultaneously, showing the rest of the world, what does this actually look like on the, on the day a company goes public? Um, how did you pull that off? And like, what, what was the experience like? Yeah, it was it was a challenge. I think first and foremost, from a narrative standpoint, you know, we'd been making a film for you know over two years at that point, uh, up to two years on on cryptocurrency or crypto, uh, and and yours and Coinbase's journey within the crypto space. And you know, I thought trying to explain to a general audience uh, how to play a four thousand year old board game called Go, Chinese board game called Go, was a difficult task and a difficult mission until. You know, I was introduced to cryptocurrency and crypto and blockchain, and that made Go just like easy, you know. So having having kind of started to figure out how I wanted to share that in the film, that information to viewers to, to arm them with that so they could enjoy or appreciate the journey. Then all of a sudden there's this thing called an IPO that's thrown into it, and it has to do with finance and trading desks and NASDAQs and markets and I don't, you know, still don't really quite grasp all that. And I wanted to make sure a viewer didn't need to understand all that going into that. So the way we strategized was um, basically, again, looking for the humans within those environments, like Benny, who ran the, I guess, I don't know what the term would be, but, you know, conducted kind of the IPO from the desk at Goldman, who turned out to be quite um, a charismatic human being. 
And, uh, you know, when I reached out to him and to get his trust that we, in this case, we tried to laugh with him, not at him, because he had such a good sense of humor. And so when we showed up, he was like, he knew he was going to be wired like an NFL coach, you know, with a wire on him at the desk. And we would just shoot him the whole day from the same angle for the most part, just doing what he did the whole day. And what we showed in the film and shared in the film to tell the story was it was a little bit of tech and a little bit of finance, but really most of it is is humanity. It's his personality and it's his, his excitement for what he does. And what's ironic is what he does is, you know, some would say is... Um, is being threatened by this new this new technology that maybe a code will do what he does in the future or is so that was really interesting too okay so let's see I, let's talk for a minute about the role of just family and friendships in the movie and i know that you know the relationship between fred ursum and i kind of um was a theme um also you know fred and his dad it was a very interesting kind of narrative that you were able to capture but um yeah, what made you decide to include so much about family and the role of friendship in this in this story, which was ostensibly about, you know, crypto? Yeah, well, um, as you know, it started with me letting you know that I'd like to an introduction to your parents, to which, as I recall, you were like, what? Like, why? <laughs> and uh, and that goes back to my earlier answer, which was I was curious about you and exploring what made you tick and, and kind of hearing what your parents had to say. Um, you know, and I, <laughs> I related with your parents having three children, adult children now myself, one who introduced me to crypto probably in the same way you introduced it to your, your, your parents. And I responded the same way your parents responded to you, to my son, when he bought a Bitcoin for a little over $300 and encouraged me to pay attention. And maybe he wanted to give me some bits, as he called them. Um, I, I was kind of like, ah, it's a crazy kid. You know, he's, just like your parents. Oh, he's upstairs on the computer reading the white paper. So there were things that felt familiar to me. And like I said, I try to, and I love talking to parents of my subject matters or family members, but parents in general. And I love putting them together on camera because I think there's something very revealing about that. Um, just little cues, whether it be the environment they're filmed in, um, to get cues from that environment to their body language. Um, you know, to how to drink their coffee. So I think that's where the folkiness comes in. So I enjoyed that. Um, you know, the fact that they dug up all those home movies, which um, that was brave for you to share. But, you know, I always consider those the first place I go when, when, uh, when exploring a character is, you know, where's that special uh, treasure chest shoebox with all the VHS or DVDs or whatever the format was, where's that? And they produced it, which was great. And, and, uh, and um, very vulnerably shared that, which which was wonderful. So I don't know that those relationships are important to me. You know, all the all, yeah, it's just it's the humanity, right? And 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 I love that aspect of it. It has nothing to do with tech. It has to do with the people in this case in the story that are in the tech story. But same with Fred. Fred sharing, um, you know, access and introduction to his dad and he had great insight into the early days and you can kind of see their dynamic which was very beautiful um and enjoyed that a lot so and parents are pretty pretty darn honest too they're you know they're they're gonna say it like it is um which what makes it 
so challenging for a teenager to hang out with their parents because they just embarrass them all the time. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the folk part of the folk equation uh, is, is parents. They probably definitely work in that formula. If we were making an algorithm for how this works, I think you've got to definitely have a healthy dose of parents in it. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you introduced that again, the humanity of it, which is, um, you know, that's almost the more interesting piece of a lot of these stories. You know, you asked me about Fred and um, I, I'll have to tell you, and I, I don't know if I told you or not, but, you know, I remember the first time I met Fred when we were, I was filming it at the office there at Coinbase and someone had said, oh, Brian's uh, co-founder that he used to work with is going to be stopping by and i was shocked because i just assumed this is early on i just didn't know at that point we're just so early in this process of learning everything and relationships and who is who and i was like wait what they talk they speak to each other like i did not expect that i just i think maybe i i had probably been tainted by um the forms of communication that are, you know, the, the pieces of content that are out there that would suggest, well, co-founders don't talk to one another. If they split up, they're done. You know, there's there it's, it's bristly. And so that was a real surprise to me. Yeah. That's, that's so awesome. I had no idea. And you're right. I mean, it, I forget about this sometimes, but it is really unique that Fred and I are such good friends. Um, you know, I think, even better friends, actually, you know, we we navigated that difficult transition with him leaving and communicated about it really well. I think for over a year, I, I can I sort of attribute that to um, you know we had like a good coach at that time who helped us kind of almost like you know couples therapy, <laughs> marriage counselor, um, and then we had great communication during it. And like anyway, I, I'm really proud of that that he and I ended up becoming best friends basically, um, even in the situation where he he departed and. He's gone on to be so incredibly successful with um, Paradigm that, and he's still on the board of Coinbase. So it's turned out to be a lifelong friendship, which has been even more valuable than the company building in some ways. Um, great. So just wrapping up here, I guess um, as a director, you know, what do you want people to take away from this film? What do you want them to leave thinking? And then if I can sneak in a two-part question here. Was there anything else that we, you and I didn't get to talk about for this film um, that you wanted to ask me now, if, pretending if we were still filming? Yeah, well, let's start with the audience. Um, I guess it, with all the films I make, I, I kind of make a film that I, I would want to see. And so in this case, um, it would be a film about maybe someone that knew a little bit about crypto, knew it existed, didn't really have a solid point of view on it, like pro or con. It, they just knew about it and were curious to learn more. Um, and so I think, and that was me. That was me when my son Cameron came to me and told me he'd found Bitcoin on Reddit, and, you know, like in 2013. And did I want to, he tried to explain it to me, which I had no clue. I didn't understand any of it. I wished he had had a link to a film like, what we've made to share and say this is what it is and kind of just give you an introduction or an invitation to the edge of the the rabbit hole as everyone says in crypto you know you go down the rabbit hole of crypto and you get lost and find all these things nfts and all this stuff um i so you know it's 
I wouldn't even necessarily say the audience is a crypto audience. Hopefully they'll enjoy it. I'm sure they'll be, you know, they'll all have their point of view, which is very, uh, you know, very evident um, in the community, which is healthy. But it's really, I would hope it would be to invite to invite others to the edge of this frontier and invite them to, you know, feel safe exploring it further. Um, and that was probably me, a parent with a son who came to me with this, wanting to share this, I, the thing he found, probably similar to you sharing it with your parents. Um, and then secondly, was there anything that I hadn't asked you and I wanted to ask you? And I don't necessarily know there is, that's a good question, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I, was there any point where you were completely, maybe I'll just ask you, I'm just going to turn it. I don't have a new question. I feel like we have, we, I exhausted everything I was curious about in the film, at least up to this point. Um, but was there any point in the film where you were, uh, you were super uncomfortable mm. in the filming? Um, I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> there was, <laughs> there was like, I think one of the first scenes you filmed, I was, you were like, well, you've been, you've been, using VR and experimenting with that for a bit. And it was like, do you want to just show me? And I was like, I think I'm going to look like an idiot wearing a VR headset. You know, and I actually don't even know if that made it into the film, but if so, I probably look like an idiot. And there was, you know, I was wearing like a onesie, like coding some stuff in the early days of the company. And I remember one time you asked me, you were like, so you used to write down like your goals in these notebooks and stuff. Like, do you have any of those notebooks? Like maybe you can just read some stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is, anytime you read something that you wrote, you know, like, seven years ago or whatever, usually, you know, you sound silly to yourself. And so that's, I take that as a sign of personal growth, you know, and I'll, I'll probably look back on this film in five, 10 years or whatever, and um, think, oh my gosh, like how embarrassing, but that's, that's fine. That's everybody's on a journey of growing. And um, part of it is, you know, nobody, nobody cares like as much as you yourself. And so it's fine. Like part of it is just, Putting yourself out there and seeing if people find any piece of it helpful or interesting. Um, you know, as people look at this film and they they see that it was a collaboration uh, between a company and a, and a documentary filmmaker, um, people may wonder about um, the story and you know how much creative control you had. And I think it's maybe you can just tell people for a little bit um, the the basically the arrangement that we had where you know Coinbase did fund this film, but you had full creative control. And I, I just think that was like an interesting arrangement we set up and it, and it allowed like hopefully creative freedom, but maybe you can tell the, the listeners from your point of view, um, how you thought about that as a filmmaker and, you know, the ability to go tell an authentic story. Yeah. Well, that was really important to me when I got the initial phone call was that there were certain conditions that were just imperative for me to take on the project to maintain, um, uh, uh, my integrity as a filmmaker, as a document documentarian. And, um, you know, financing comes from a lot of different places these days, whether it be companies or wherever, but it was, that was important that I could tell the story that was most interesting to me in the crypto space, um, of which Coinbase would be part of it. And then two, um, that I would have final cut. Um, I would, I would listen if there were notes, I would I would um, listen thoughtfully to those notes, but um, and consider them. But ultimately, I would have final cut. 
So those were two conditions that were important. And then that you introduced me to your parents, which I think was probably a really big condition as well. So, um, so, and the fact that you agreed to all three was, was fantastic. Um, the challenge then for me, and that, so that was really important. And that, that was, um, I'm grateful that you were, you were trusting of that. But the fact that Coinbase and yourself, say really say yourself because i guess that was the other condition as you probably recall too is like i don't want to work through comms or i don't even think you had promotion i mean the company was pretty small i mean it scaled fast but i wanted to have direct access to you and no one else i didn't you know that was really really important to me and it remained that way the whole time and you know sh sharing the cut with you when i flew out and we shared that rough cut and um, really not having any, even any notes. <laughs> I know you had some whys. Why did you include that person? Why did you include that person? Which, yeah. you know, I know very candidly and honestly, maybe they may not have been your biggest fans, but that was, you know, as I explained why the people were in it, were in it. Um, but that was it. So, um, yeah, it was really a, a really great situation. I know that um, it could be miss. I don't know. I'm sure there will be those that that throw mud at it uh, and assume something else. But so be it. We, you know, I hope they'll see the film and, and feel it in a way that and feel the integrity in it. Thank you for the collaboration and the trust. I think it turned out great as a result. Likewise. Thank you for joining us today. You can catch the coin documentary on iTunes, Amazon, Google, and most on-demand streaming platforms in the US and Canada. Thank you to the producers on coin, Peter Klein and Alex Needles from All Day Everyday Productions. And a big thank you to our partner, Gravitas Ventures, for acquiring and distributing the film. See you next time. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties. <laughs>